This is the Van City Church Podcast. The following teaching is part four in the series, Practicing the Way, Sabbath. Due to issues with the building where we meet, Van City's gathering was actually canceled on February 3rd. So the following recording is from Bridgetown Church, where our friend Bethany Allen gives the teaching she would have brought to Van City that night. Tonight, we will continue with our practice on Sabbath. Does that sound good? Yeah, it sounds so good. And if you've been around the last few weeks, you know we've been exploring this practice at length. Um, We've covered what it is, why we do it, and how it impacts us when we do. Now, we still do have a few weeks to go. In fact, we have an incredible guest speaker even next week on Super Bowl Sunday. AJ Swoboda will be here. He's an amazing dude. If you've ever heard AJ speak, it's sort of like, you're like, this, and he's like so smart, but you're enjoying it. Do you know what I mean? Like you're like, whoa, yes, I love what you're saying. So he'll be here. He's really amazing. And then we'll have some other guest teachers as well. Um, But before we move on any further, we thought it'd be important to talk about another aspect, or maybe better said, uh, another reality of Sabbath. If you have started this practice, how many of you have started this practice? Yeah, no shame. No shame showers here, if you haven't. Um, But if you have started this, you know, um, probably by now, that when it comes to doing it, there is an ideal, and then there's a reality. Would you agree? Yeah. There's an ideal of how things should go, and the reality that for some of you, Sabbath actually is the three minutes before your children come charging in the bedroom. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, and that was Sabbath. Thank you. That was wonderful. I had it, and I think maybe God talked to me, but I doubt it. Um, And then there's the ideal. You know, in the dream world, it would be seamless and easy. Perhaps it would start with an early dismissal from work, and you would come into a clean and quiet house. If you have children, they would be doing nothing but playing peacefully together in their room with the door shut <laughs> for hours, and, um, and you would be enjoying your peace. Maybe for you, it would start in nature or at an art gallery, beauty all around you, calming your already calm senses. Or better still, maybe it starts with a quiet morning, staring at the flowers your boyfriend brought you last night. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and you have a hot cup of coffee in your hand. And the newest Bethel album playing in the background as you breathe in deeply, acknowledging your already centered soul. That is the dream, or at least for some of us. <laughs> Right, or at least some kind of variation of it, right? But the truth is, often it's just that. It's a dream. And more often than not, Sabbath looks much different than this. Because you can do all the right things, right? You can enter into Sabbath with your checklist of like, okay, so I did this, 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 and this. But your mind still doesn't always calm down. And you can still feel anxious and antsy in that space. And your out-of-control circumstances will usually push up against or thrust their way into your life at some point. And the people you live with who don't live life as you know they should (laughs) uh, will intersect your Sabbath at some point. You'll be distracted and disoriented on top of the reality of the brokenness of this world and the brokenness within you. And somehow, Sabbath will just be what it is. Hopefully, we've all heard the saying, wherever you go, there you are. And when it comes to the practice of Sabbath, this is no less true. 
makes no difference what personality type you are, what Enneagram number you relate to, your job title, your relationship status, or the amount of years you've spent in therapy. At the end of the day, all you are left with is you, your desires, your failures, your temperaments, your hopes, your dreams, your disappointments, it's all you. And the frustrating thing is that no matter how hard we try to escape the reality, we can't. So today, we're going to look at the life of a man who found himself in a similar place. Will you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19? We're going to pick up in verse 1. It reads this. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he went, he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, ate, and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord, or Yahweh, is about to pass by. All right. Familiar text to a lot of us. And yet, hopefully tonight, we'll see it through maybe a different lens or a different angle. Our text starts out, and we find ourselves jumping in at the end of what was a crazy and somewhat hostile relationship between a king named Ahab, a queen named Jezebel, and a prophet named Elijah. And when we meet Elijah here in our story, he's coming off a high of being used by God in this miraculous way to defeat this false god named Baal. Now, this is I think, one of the coolest stories in the scriptures. So if you haven't read it, you should go back and read it. There's a lot to it, but it's awesome. So Elijah's coming off this great victory, and the reality is that the effect of that victory was fading fast. Furious about the defeat, the queen responds, and we see that in verse 2, where she basically issues Elijah a death threat. And in verse 3, we read that Elijah was afraid. Well, good reason to be, I think. And so he runs for his life. Now, 
pause here for a second. We do this, don't we? I I don't mean we're all literally running for our lives, at least I hope you're not tonight, and if you are, welcome. Uh, (laughs) But we, like Elijah, have a propensity to run away from things when they get hard. To run away from the emotions and the pain and all that comes with it, filling our days with busyness and activity, but running still. I know um, just from what I've heard that some of you even actually like to literally run (laughs) from your pain. That sounds terrible. For me, that would be a double whammy. You know what I'm saying? I prefer to drive and to drive fast, and so I do that. (laughs) This is me next to you. (laughs) My point here is that Elijah's running should remind us of ours. Now the text tells us that after running and on his way to running, he drops his servant off in Judah and then he goes into the wilderness, a place where he would be alone and understandably, understandably vulnerable. Not just to the elements of the desert, the scorpions and the like, I don't know what else, like, yeah, like there's got to be like little creatures there. But he would be vulnerable to the realities of his soul as well. And when we find him at the end of verse 4, we clearly see his exhaustion. In it, he tells Yahweh that he can do no more, and in his desperation, even asks him to take his life. There's no doubt that this man was soul-level exhausted. He was spent emotionally, physically, and spiritually. He had just done mega spiritual warfare with a little g-god. He had just stood in front of thousands of people, And then he runs for miles upon miles, first from a storm and then for his life. And what's crazy is when we find him here, we also see that he's being confronted with his fear, with hopelessness, with exhaustion and sadness. There was no magic formula for this prophet, only the frailty of his humanity. Now, we read on and we find that Elijah did what many of us do when we're overwhelmed and at the end of our rope. He took a nap. But not for long. Some of you are like, I relate. I'm relating all of a sudden to Elijah. (laughs) Look down at the second part of verse 5. There we read, an angel appears. And this is the, the text says different things, but it basically means suddenly an angel appears. And there's a lot to be said about that. I probably would have been paralyzed on many levels, but it seems he's fine with it. So an angel wakes him up from his nap, (laughs) and he says, hey, get up and eat and drink. And so he does that, and then he lays down again. Then in verse 7, we read that the angel of the Lord came to him again. And in verse 5, when we first read about the angel, it's simply noted as such, just an angel. It's it's all we know. But when we get to verse 7, we see that the angel who visited was actually the angel of the Lord which is a title and description that is always used in the Old Testament for the presence of Jesus before he was in bodily form. It's something called a theophany, making this encounter that much more significant. Now there's something else significant to note. Twice he is told to eat and drink, and twice he is allowed to sleep. And this, I think, is a beautiful reminder that Elijah was a human being limited in what he could do, and designed to function in all aspects of his person, body, soul, and spirit. His capacity for response to God would come later, but in the meantime, he needed to rest. He needed to be both restored and strengthened. 
Now, in verse 8, we read that Elijah ate and drank, and then he was actually strengthened by this food, which is good news, and then he travels, making his way to a place called Mount Horeb, which was known as the Mountain of God. And maybe some of you remember from our uh, Silence and Solitude practice, but this trip is actually an 11-day journey by foot, (laughs) and Elijah takes the 40 days. You know, he's taking a slow stroll, which to me at first was funny, but then it made me think that he took this trip so unhurried, (laughs) maybe even taking time to slowly heal as he moved towards meeting with God. When he makes it to Mount Horeb, he finds a cave, and he does what he does really well, according to this text. He sleeps. (laughs) And we find he wakes up. He's now well-fed and rested and restored from the desperate place, ready to encounter God. Now, in verse 9, we read that the word of Yahweh, or the word of the Lord, came to him and asked, What are you doing here? And this is significant for a few reasons. First, though it's an assumption, it's important to note that it seems that Elijah was now ready to engage. Ready to engage God in a way, it appears, that he wasn't able to do prior to resting, to eating and being restored. Notice what God says. He doesn't come out the gate with great words of comfort. He's not like hyper-doting. He doesn't come out confronting or rebuking Elijah. He simply asks him, what are you doing on the mountain of God? giving space for Elijah to consider what was going on inside. To which we find Elijah responding with great depth and great emotion. He offers up his feelings of desperation when he says, I have been very zealous for you. And then I can hear his sadness and despair and even frustration and fear as he declares, the Israelites have rejected your covenant and put your prophets to death. By the way, he was a prophet. (laughs) And then finally, we see him express his loneliness to God as he says, and I am the only one left. No, his statement of desperation is self-centered and born out of despair. It is also an honest expression of surrender and vulnerability. In this act of honesty, Elijah gives God freedom to do and say what he wants. And in verse 11, we find Yahweh moving towards that invitation as he responds. And he says to Elijah, he says, go to the mountain, go to the edge of the mountain where my presence is going to pass you by. When he says, go out and stand on the edge of the mountain, he's saying, position yourself before me because I'm coming. Now remember that Elijah wasn't just encountering Yahweh for the first time. He had already done so on the desert floor in his exhaustion, his hunger, and his thirst. His spiritual encounter started as soon as he entered the wilderness. Yes, painfully starting with the revelation and exposure of his limits, and yet it was his limits that left him without an agenda about how or when God should come to him. To which now we see this stage set for an even greater encounter with Yahweh. Elijah's surrender of self-sufficiency led to God meeting and addressing both his physical needs and his spiritual and emotional ones. It's in this space that Yahweh had full access to who Elijah was, granting him an even deeper experience of his presence. And ultimately we find Yahweh inviting Elijah into a space of reflection and self-awareness, not for the purpose of shaming him or teaching him some kind of lesson, but for greater communion with the God of the universe. 
And what we see in the life of this prophet, while in so many ways so strangely different than our own, and definitely a lot more dramatic, at least I hope so, because honestly, that's a lot. If you're wa- anyway, if you're walking in with that, bless you. But I think as, as obscure as his life can seem, it is also strangely familiar. In it, we're given a paradigm for what happens when we stop running and we meet God in rest. But, like Elijah, in it, we have to face ourselves. Now, I'm going to ask you to do a little experiment with me. Are you up for it? Okay, you're like, everyone's like, yeah. Uh, All right, shut your eyes just for one second. No confetti, no scary noises. Just some tap shoes. Just kidding. That's a joke. All right, close your eyes for just a second. Now, I'm going to ask you to imagine yourself sitting alone in a room. No TV, no music, no noise of any kind. Imagine yourself just sitting in a chair. I just want you to stay there for a moment. I want you to begin to notice and acknowledge any emotions that are coming up for you. Any feelings you're experiencing. Just pay attention to those. Okay, you can open your eyes. Now, if I had the time, I'd love to ask each of you how that was for you. I know that there are some in this room who absolutely just loved that exercise. (laughs) This was your first euphoric moment in a long time. So to you, I say you're welcome. Still, I would bet there are more of you who responded a lot like I did the first time I did this. Um, when I uh, first started counseling, my counselor asked me to do this very experiment, and I'm honestly not sure if she did it just to make me stop talking for a while. Legitimately, I'm not being funny, but she did it, and <laughs> I sat for a long time, so that was worse. You could have, it was confusing. And so I sat, but for me, honestly, the very thought of it, as she started talking about it, made me feel crazy. I was so anxious and panicked and nervous And I remember that she said to me this was because the things in me or the things within my soul were not at rest. And she said, until I had dealt with the things of my soul, I would be hindered from encountering all that God had for me. And often this is true for us in the practice of Sabbath. We fail oftentimes to deal with the things of our soul. And because of that, we not only miss out on this soul rest that's actually being offered to us, but we also miss out on encounters with God. It's been said that before we can surrender ourselves, we must become ourselves. For no one can give up what he or she does not first possess. Meaning that if we're going to get anywhere in this practice of Sabbath, it's going to start with us being intentional about a few things. First, I think it's going to mean we have to accept our humanity. Now, by using this phrase, I want to be clear. I'm not talking about the mindset that says things like, well, I'm a human. What do you expect? (laughs) Apparently, I'm a character in a show as well. (laughs) Or I'm only human. God can't expect me to do A, B, C, and D. I'm talking about truly acknowledging who you are, first with yourself and then with God. Like Elijah, when we want to enter into this time with God, we want to do so honestly. 
You see, the things about ourselves that we refuse to acknowledge are and will be given increased power and influence by our failure to accept them. Or another way to say this is that that which we avoid will most tyrannize us. It's a dangerous space for us to be. So what's the objective here? The objective in Sabbath is to acknowledge and become aware of ourselves in that space. Now again, a lot of times we can say, I get it, that's awesome, I show up to Sabbath. But honestly, when I talk to people who are doing Sabbath, and for years, my own, in my own experience, it was like I was standing on the rim of Sabbath constantly going like, cool, this is so fun. Yeah, I'm having a great time. I mean, just honestly, like, this is wonderful. And I'm on the edge. You can't see I'm on the edge of something you're having to imagine. But I just felt like I was <laughs> walking on the edge of something. And I wasn't actually in it, but I was doing it. And just like, I mean, gritting my teeth. I'm just like, this is wonderful. Yes. <laughs> I'm feeling at rest. No, I wasn't. Because it's a lot harder than we think it is. It means we actually have to acknowledge our emotions, good and bad. Did you know that your emotions are the arena in which God has cultivated and designed you to actually commune with him? When you shut your emotions off, you're actually shutting doors to intimacy with God. You're, you're saying, ah, oh, no, that. So, so we have to engage our emotions, and that's good and bad. God, I'm feeling joy. I'm feeling happy, but God, I'm also feeling sad and frustrated and angry and alone. It's in this space of Sabbath that we have to begin to acknowledge who we really are before him. It's in this space, too, that we accept that we have a body. Did you know you have one? I mean, I hope so. Good Lord. I can't help you with that. I can't. You have a body, which means you're going to show up to Sabbath, and you can be honest about the fact that you need a snack. That is okay. And we laugh, and we go like, no, not till 12, or whatever. You know, we do these weird things with our limits and our structure. But it's okay in that space to go, I'm a human, I have a body, I have needs, I'm thirsty, I'm hungry, I need sleep. I need to sleep on the Sabbath. There's something that my body is telling me about what it is that I need. You have to acknowledge things like your fears, and your pain, ask yourself, where does it hurt? Where am I in pain right now in my soul and in my body and in my person? Bringing all those things honestly before God and not being afraid of the emotions, but embracing them and going, God, I don't know. You know, I was talking to someone before this gathering, and she said, you know, it's really strange to me because I was thinking about how if God can shut off your emotions, if he can get you to not fully be present in Sabbath, then the, no, if this was the enemy, not God. If the enemy can do that, that's the other guy. He's very bad. Um, if the enemy can get you to do that, then he will thwart your union with God in deep and profound ways. It's a tactic for us to show up to Sabbath and, and show up halfway. Yeah, I'm here, God. I'm really doing this. Great. This is wonderful. I've really appreciated all the things we're doing. And, and to not fully show up and say, like, listen, I'm pissed about this thing or that thing. I'm hurting. I feel alone. Where are you? Where are those people? What happened? I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm afraid. I'm a, all these things. If we don't show up all the way, then the enemy has leverage to use what was meant for God's designed for flourishing and intimacy and true soul rest from it actually happening. It's, it's the path that the enemy has been using with a lot of us. It's a sick game. And tonight we want to disarm that. You need to be honest about your experiences. What did you experience this week? How did that experience or that encounter with that person affect you? It mattered. 
It really mattered. What are your needs, your wants, and your desires? And at the same time, you have got to be able to embrace your limitations. At the heart of Sabbath, you are saying, I'm human. You know, uh, one of the things John Mark said early on, and I just, it's just stuck with me like glue. He said it to me about leaders, but it's been true about every person I know. I think it's a garden, a garden thing, so I'll correct him later. But um, he said, you know, leaders often want to be omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. They always feel like they have to be all things to all people in all the ways. And I think we struggle with that in our humanity as well. We want to be all the things, and there's no room for God to be the thing he was designed to be. In your innate design, you were created to need him, to have union with him. And so when we don't bring the reality of that, when we don't acknowledge our limitations, we're saying there's no room for you to work here. So we embrace our limitations. We also embrace our failures. We embrace the ways that we've blown it or messed up, the ways that we haven't kept up with what we wanted, not for the purpose, again, of a shame shower or anything that would be discouraging, but to be honest before God. It's like this is an area of struggle. I'm not keeping my failure before me, but I am bringing it to you and saying, is there a better way? And being honest with God in that. We also bring our strengths and our weaknesses. We bring our temptations to him. This week I was doing double takes. This week, God, I'm feeling tempted to whatever, and this is going to sound silly, but I'll tell you what, every Friday morning I wake up, that's my Sabbath day, I start Thursday evening, wake up Friday morning. Every Friday morning, the temptation for me is going to sound silly, but it is powerful, is I say to, I mean, this is happening. I'm standing at my coffee pot looking like a gorgeous queen, and I'm, (laughs) and, uh, sweet, just took my retainer out, so it's darling. Uh, (laughs) If I've remembered, amen? And um, standing there, and I am literally like, the only thing I want to do on the planet is watch This Is Us. It's the only thing I want to do. I don't care about the scriptures. I don't care about your presence. I want to watch This Is Us. I mean, it's, I know y'all, some of you are like, oh, yeah. You haven't watched the show. It's powerful. It's a good show. Yeah, some of you are blessed. And God's for it. You know what I mean? Can I say that? Can I say that? I doubt that. Um, but I'll just say, so, so, I mean, we can say, you know, sometimes we think of temptation, like, man, it's, it was like this double take thing. No, for me, honestly, the thing, I'm standing at the coffee pot, it happens almost every Friday morning. I'm like, listen, I just got to confess to you, I'd much rather watch This Is Us than spend time with you. That's absolutely true. I just want to say that to you. I'm tempted right now to turn the TV on over and against being in your presence. I am. I, I, it's just a thing, and God's like, that's cool, Okay. And it's only until I actually bring the truth to him that he's like, okay. Because otherwise, what am I doing when I'm sitting down with my quiet time? I'm just going like, I hope this is over soon because this is us is waiting, <laughs> right? It's this weird thing where we can become trapped by it. Bringing those things before God actually liberates us to encounter all that he has for us. Now, none of this is easy. It's often painful. I can joke about that experience, and it is, it's a struggle. I'm confessing full-blown. It is an actual struggle, because if I do This Is Us, then I'm going to do about another nine hours of Grey's Anatomy and Friends. I mean, it's going to be a vortex. It will be. It's just honest confession. And nothing that's actually helpful for my soul. Maybe for like a minute, but the relief is temporary. It's not sustaining. It's a tough thing to do, to admit my limits, to admit my realities in, in the presence of God. 
And, and usually when I do so, it leads me to a place of actual communion with him. I know I've said that, but I want to say this about that. After I'm able to actually own who I am with God, honestly, and bring even my emotions before him, bring my limits before him, move into that space honestly with him, it's then that honestly, that's where we deal with some of the deeper soul things. The conviction of sin. Where God's like, hey man, that really, that hurt that person. You cursed them in your mind. You didn't bless them. You spoke in a way that you know influenced other people's thinking about so-and-so and so-and-so. And God, it's not a shame shower. Again, I'm freed up because I've already brought a lot of the truth to him. Do you get me? And now I'm going like, oh God, forgive me. Forgive me. And so it's a place where there's usually conviction of sin, this greater call to holiness. And hear me, wholeness. That's what it's all about. The call to repentance is not a call just to confess my sin and to bring it before God. It's a call to freedom, which is what the Sabbath is all about. It's removing the shackles. It's becoming free so that I can delight and celebrate. And in that space, that's where I remember I'm no longer a slave. I'm not a slave to the sin that entangled me. And I'm not a slave to what's to come. I'm free. And so we move into a space where we're able to confess and repent with delight. And I can move into a space where I say, I'm more dependent on you than I even realized. And it's in that space that he just squashes my pride and reminds me that I am too small to be God and that I wasn't designed to be. And all of a sudden, I can breathe because the pressure is overwhelming if we actually allow ourselves to feel it. Now, all of this, again, is painful and costly, especially to your personal ego and your comfort. But it is necessary if you're actually going to be able to enter into this practice and actually find freedom for your souls. Next, we have to notice the ache. Once you've done the hard work of accepting your humanity inwardly with yourself and before God, you're now freed up from the noise of your soul to really listen Beneath our emotional turmoil lies a deeper God-given desire for him. It is how we were designed. It's placed, no, I don't have it. Yes, you do. You just haven't reached that far down yet. It's like your belly button, hard to get to. You know what I'm saying? Way down. That was weird. <laughs> like each of us has longings within our souls. We have things that we ache for, things that speak to the depths and desire and design of how we were created. And it's these longings that also give us insight into where God is leading us and who he's calling us to. So often when we come to the Sabbath, we think all emotions are bad. You know, it's like a one and done thing. So we shut down all the emotions and put them in a box and set them over here and go like, but I'm loving Sabbath or whatever we're doing. And by shutting them all down, we're actually missing the good emotions, the longing emotions. All emotions, I believe, are good. Positive or negative, they're all vehicles by which we can actually commune with God. But, but sometimes in the space of suppressing, we also suppress these good things that are actually telling us something about where God is leading us and who he's made us to be. So it's in this place that we ask things like, why is my soul longing or yearning for this? What are you stirring in me, God? 
What is this hunger I feel in my soul? What am I aching for that is good and part of your design and part of the realities of your kingdom? And it's here that we both listen and seek. We let go of our attachments to control and our desires to manipulate life, and we recognize in a deep breath of the Spirit that we're okay. We're okay at rest in our design and in our dependence. And like Elijah, it's here that we're giving God the freedom to do and say what he wants. And this is essential if we're actually going to be able to engage God through this practice of Sabbath. Because it's from this place that we can actually truly begin to encounter him. Third, you've got to wait for the encounter. Sabbath is a slow journey to rest. It's the rhythm that unhurriedly disarms our impatience and calls us to make room for the more of true life. Hear me, true life. Not life as you perceive it to be, but true, abundant life. As we deal with the realities of our soul, as we begin to find them now ordered under God, we begin to engage him in the deeper places of aching in our soul. We, like Elijah, are now moving into a space of a greater encounter. There's a common saying in the mystic tradition that says we're always in the presence of God. What is absent is our, is our awareness. Meaning, this is the space where we turn all of our attention to him. And we lean in and wait. When we work through our emotions, when we work through the ache of our soul, it's then that we're actually ready to receive what God has. See, in our in our personhood, I don't know why we do this, we just want to get to the good stuff. So a lot of times we come to Sabbath with the expectation that it's just not happening. You know, because we're waiting, we're in three, when we should have started at one, hello? We're going like, I just don't know why God doesn't want to come. Door shut and locked. It's like he wasn't even invited. Do you know what I mean? You're like, he's just not here and he's definitely not on time. But it's in this space that there has to be a natural progression. We're waiting for this large encounter when we haven't done the work to actually hold the encounter. You want a mantle, you need to get strong underneath to hold the mantle. You want God to speak, you need to be a vessel willing and emptied out to be filled up. This is the practice of Sabbath. Positioning yourself to be ready to receive from God, to be looking for, actively looking for the goodness of God in your life. Sabbath moves us to that place and space, but if we're not ready, we will miss it. And so many of us sit here tonight frustrated because we've missed it. He wants to come and meet with you, and he's not, he doesn't need a mountain to do it. Some of you hikers get that thing. You know, he comes and whatever. The rest of us on the ground at a buffet are enjoying ourselves in different (laughs) ways, you know? He doesn't need a mountaintop to speak to you. He needs your eyes open and your ears alert to the ordinary moments where he shows up and gives you an extraordinary encounter. Some of my greatest encounters this week have come through the lips of other people, over coffee, in the burbs. Whoa. I went out there. (laughs) Wild place. The purpose, purpose of Sabbath is to slow down 
long enough to encounter God deeply and to slow ourselves down enough so that we can actually see him and to hear him, to, like Elijah, position ourselves before him. No manipulation, no religious rhythm or expectations that are weirdly out of order, just resting, creating space and waiting. And in that waiting, being healed and finding rest for our souls. On that note, our practice for the week um, is going to help you do just that. You can uh, get this practice on practicingtheway.org slash Sabbath. And the idea is this, that you take time to work through each of these rhythms. To rest, yes, but to also acknowledge your humanity, to embrace the ache of your soul, and to wait for the encounter. The goal is to help you slow down to shift gears from your go-to tendencies and expectations of Sabbath and to search yourself. How, how am I doing in this practice and is it working? Some of you are like, I'm doing great and I would totally get a gold star. Great. Just get your little oil topped off and we'll send you on your way. And bless you. <laughs> but for those of us who it's a little bit harder for, this is a good space for you to press in to grow, to readjust, and to realign the things that need to be realigned. We're going to provide tons of space to reflect and respond, and that's all it is. There's no high pressure, no checklist. It's not how it's going to work. It's just a space for you now to respond to these realities. Now to end, I want to be honest with you, though I don't think it'll be a huge surprise, but the practice of Sabbath doesn't come naturally to me. (laughs) Uh, Big reveal. In fact, it's something I've been really working on for years, and I'm doing, like, a pretty good job. Slowing down goes against the grain of a lot of who I am in personality, in season, and in my brokenness and trauma. This works against each other. When I first started this practice, I was honestly overwhelmed and deeply ashamed, both by my addiction to the noise of life and by what it revealed about my soul. As a single extroverted woman, I found myself feeling lost and overwhelmed by the formulas of others in this practice, all of whom are really different from me, like think antithetical to all that I am, right? So I'm like a woman, totally single, (laughs) and I'm an extrovert. And all the other dudes are um, totally men, which is great, and totally married, and totally introverted. And so their formula didn't work for me. And for like a year, I tried to mimic their patterns and their practices, ultimately allowing the rhythm that wasn't actually mine to add to the noise of my soul. And in the end, it led me to miss the blessing of Sabbath entirely. The biggest thing I want you to hear me say tonight is that what you bring to Sabbath is you. As simple as it is, and so often we forget and bypass this truth, that we're not John Mark, and we're not Gerald. I'm not married yet, Lord. Um, (laughs) 
I'm not a single person. I don't have children yet. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to operate in all these different ways and going like, cool, okay, so I light the candle, but nobody's there to say like, observe and whatever. I just don't have, so do I, am I inviting? What are we doing with that? Like, <laughs> two candles are just one because it's just me. Like, I don't know. You know, all those things. And we all do this, right? You're doing this. You're mapping out as you're hearing formulas and going like, oh, is that fit? And you're going to do it with mine. The practices we write up are simply that. They're just best practices from a spectrum of, of a lot of people. And they're for you to adopt and adapt and enjoy. And as apprentice of Jesus, take responsibility for. For you to move into and own your place with the Lord. And own the practice for what it's supposed to be. A space of rest and worship. Practicing Sabbath means that we embrace all that we are in it. Emotions and all of that. But also personality temperament, season, all of that, and that it's going to look different for different people in different seasons. If the purpose is to experience and encounter God, then we'll have to uniquely work to create spaces and rhythms for just that. For me, because I'm single, have I mentioned that? (laughs) A lot of years now, brothers. I mean, I don't know. I'm going to regret that in the morning. About 4 a.m. That's going to come a knocking. <laughs> Single. Nope. Did I? Yeah. Single. No kids yet. Hope for both those things. But for me right now, Sabbath looks like slow mornings with coffee in hand. Spending time with Jesus in the scriptures, in poetry, and music. It's the day in space that I journal and I work through the realities of my soul. I used, to, I used to be able to journal every day, but that doesn't happen, so I journal on the Sabbath. And it's the day where I spend time praying without a time limit. And it's the space where I truly sit and wait on God. I, I do. I set a timer. <laughs> Not because he can't come at other times, but I'm like, we got a limit. This is us. It's still in the queue. Uh, and that's okay. It's also the space that in my singleness, I know I will now confront loneliness. So, after a few hours with Jesus, it's the time of my week that I call my family or have coffee with a friend. Not to medicate or avoid my feelings, but to actually embrace the ache within. The afternoon of my Sabbath is a space for me to connect deeply with a select few people. And for me, it's a vehicle for God to draw me to himself and to remind me of his love for me. Just this Sabbath, um, last Friday, I met with a deeply godly friend who I've met with on the Sabbath for many years now. So if you see me out at a coffee shop on a Friday, usually I have a hat on because it's scary underneath. You know, not for any other reason except that I have makeup on from last night. It's like, um, but anyway, if you see me out there, probably don't come quickly approaching the table because I might be like crying and gnashing teeth or whatever because this is what happens in this space with her. And that's what happened (laughs) this Friday. I met with this friend and in that space, she held the deep emotions of, my sad, of the sadness of my soul this week, while also calling me back to the ache of it. She was with me, and she bore witness to what life was really like for me. And by her very presence, I was able to actually exhale, not because she's some awesome friend, but because she bears within her person God's spirit. And when I left, I felt like I had been with him. Sometimes you just need a face to say the things to. Are you with me? Especially those of you who are single. Sometimes you just need to say it to someone and you need to see them go, yeah. You do. 
or baby, you need to wipe your makeup. It's not, you know, that comes too. Some Sabbaths are joy-filled, and you celebrate all 24 hours of it. That's happened for me a million times. But in others, you will go through the Elijah emotions and really come to your pain in community and in silence. And the tension is holding it out as a day of delight, first and foremost. That's what we want you to do. While also admitting without fear that it's often a day of sadness and healing before it turns into delight. And that's okay. For all of us, Sabbath will look different. Some of you need lots of structure, others none. Some of you will embrace the beauty of nature and art, and still others will settle into books and stillness. Some of you need something concrete to turn to when you begin the time and space and it all feels empty, and that's okay. Others of you won't need that. My point is, whatever your rhythm, and you will need a rhythm, Allow it to be the catalyzing space for an encounter with God. Welcome the returning without hindrance and experience the good gift that is God's presence. Thanks for listening to Van City. You can connect with us and find more teachings and available resources at www.vancity.church. You can support Vancity financially at vancity.church/give.